0: Or you can find us at our website, madorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today.
1: Y'all can be seated. Uh, The University of Arizona did a study to find the number of words a person speaks each day. So they outfitted participants with devices that tracked how many words they spoke during their waking hours over an eight-year period. They recorded the words during their waking hours and then tallied the results. And the results were that the average person speaks about 16,000 words per day. We're talking about words not Y'all are going to have to help me. <laughs> 16,000 words per day, that's 112,000 words per week, 5,825 words per year. So by the time a person has reached the age of 50, the average person has spoken 291,250,000 words. Now, to put that into perspective, the Bible contains 783,137 words. So by age 50, the average person could have quoted the Bible 372 times. (laughs) And that's the average person. That's not teachers, that's not preachers, that's not moms of toddlers. No, get down, yes, because I said so over and over into infinity. See if you can finish this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Whoever wrote that was an idiot. I hope it wasn't none of your family. (laughs) Somebody needs to watch their words. (laughs) At some point in our life, we have undoubtedly been hurt by words by words. And we have also most likely hurt people by our words, intentional or not. The words we speak matter. Our words matter. Psalm 19 and 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I want my words, all however many million of it, there's been i want my words to be acceptable in the sight of god i want my conversation to be pleasing to him and that requires that i be careful and considerate of the words i speak because what i say matters what i say matters proverbs 18:21 tells us death and life are in the power of the tongue your words have the power to kill and your words have the power to heal. They'll either destroy and bring ruin by what you speak, or they'll restore life and they'll encourage. Your words can leave scars, or they can apply a balm of healing. But your words matter, your words have weight. In the book of Deuteronomy, we read of Moses, he was speaking to the nation of Israel about this very thing, this reality. In Deuteronomy 30 and 19, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. When Moses said life and death, he wasn't necessarily referring to killing people physically, but what he meant was what decision you make today is going to determine your lifespan right. and it's going to determine the lifespan of your descendants. Whatever, ble- uh, whatever choice you make, blessing or destruction, is going to come through your choices. Yes. And that includes the choice of our words. Our words don't just impact us. Our words impact our descendants. Yes. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers. I find it interesting that God ties edification to communication. He's saying we edify through our words, through our communication in this passage. So in other words, we we edify each other by what we say. Edify, build up, to strengthen, to encourage. We encourage each other through our words, through what we say, because the words that we speak to each other matter greatly. How many of you can remember something negative that someone spoke to you in the past? We all can, can't we? Perhaps they denigrated your looks or your intelligence or your actions. And even if they followed it up with, I'm just teasing, can't you take a joke? The words still hurt. And the reality is we can get a compliment as we walk in the door and forget it. But we can remember hurtful words that were spoken in our childhood. And we carry them on. And many times they remain and they still hurt. And sometimes we rehearse them in our head. And they become a truth to us that we live by. That person may have forgotten those words. They may have said them in the heat of anger. They may have said them actually joking. They may not have had a a bad intention. They may have given it to you without much thought, but in your mind, those words landed and they've grown into something in your mind that you can't forget. So our words, it affects how we think, it affects how we feel and how we act. If I could see the literal effect that my words have on a person, I wonder, am I leaving scars or am I applying a bomb? Am I bringing hurt or am I bringing healing? You know, I think far too many of us use our tongues flippantly to voice how we feel or what we think. Do we use it powerfully, though? Because our tongue is a tool that can create blessing and breathe life to those around us. Too many times we say something to the detriment of others. And uh, in our calling, our job, you would be surprised, at least I hope you would be surprised, at the number of people we meet that um, pour out vile, hateful, angry words to us in the heat of the moment, not necessarily directed to us, they're just upset and we're a safe spot. And so these vile, angry, heated words pour over. We listen to them, we pray for them, pray with them, we speak life, words of life and encouragement to them, and they go on their way feeling better about the situation. You know, sometimes when we have our say, for the moment, we feel better. Whew, got that off my chest. But the person we had our say to is left with those words. They're left with that aggression. They're left with, what, they're left with scars. That person's been scarred by you having your say. Our precious sister Wilkes has said that she practices mindful forgetfulness. There's sometimes we need to learn to practice mindful forgetfulness. Somebody has their, their say, we need to learn how to, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to forget that. I'm going to be mindful about it. We talked last time about our words at first being thoughts. The thing is, the reality is that we don't have to verbalize every thought we have. That's That's it's not a rule, guys. That's right. I think that I have to say it. That's not, no. it's not a rule. In the Old Testament, we read the story of the Shunammite woman whose son died. She and her husband, you remember the story, she and her husband had built a room onto their house for the prophet Elisha. And he prayed for them, asked them what he could do for them, prayed for them, and a son was born. And then that son later died. In 2 Kings chapter 4, it says, She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. In other words, it's not a designated worship time. Why are you going to the prophet? And her words were, she said, It shall be well. She's got a dead son laying in the prophet's bed. And she tells her husband, it shall be well. Then she went on her way. Elisha saw her coming from afar and sent Gehazi, his servant, to meet her, and said, run now, I pray thee to meet her, and say unto her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. It is well. This woman kept saying, it is well even though her son lay dead. But that's just what she said out loud. That's what she spoke in the presence of others. We don't know what her prayers were. We don't know what conversation she had with God. We don't know what her thoughts were. We don't know what her inner dialogue was. We just know the words she spoke. Because there are times... I believe that we have prayers we pray in our prayer closet that we have no business talking about. We have no business bringing it into the open. It's between me and God. There are thoughts that we think that should never be spoken aloud. That's between me and God. When we're going through a trial, when we're having trouble in our marriage, when we're having issues with a child, when we're struggling with a job, we must be incredibly careful what we speak over the situation. Why? Because the enemy of our soul lays in wait to take advantage of any entrance he can have into our heart. The devil can't read our thoughts, but he can hear the words we speak. The devil heard her say, it is well. Don't you imagine that was confusing to him? Many times he can read our body language. So there are times when we're going through our deepest, my mother taught me that. There are times when you're going through your deepest trials, you need to worship your hardest. Amen. You need to worship Amen. your best. You need to make sure you're up in front worshiping. You need to make sure you're in the house of God faithfully. It is well. Yes. It is well. Yes. It is well. Many times we unwittingly call hell to our side through our speech. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Never speak words that make the, the enemy think he's winning. Never speak words that make him think, I got her now. Being careful with our speech is not a matter of being optimistic or being fake. Sometimes people say that uh, when they don't wanna watch their speech. Well, you're just being, you're just being fake. No, it's about being realistic. Right. We talked about engrafting the word of God into our heart and into our mind because that dictates what our speech is. What does the word of God say about the matter? Let that be my speech. Right. Some people feel that being tactful or speaking kindly or with grace is maybe akin to lying. In other words, if I'm mad, I've got to yell at you so you know I'm mad. Oh my. I can't disagree with you in a peaceful manner or graciously. I've got to yell. I've got to scream. That's what some people think. So if I disagree with you, I need to get loud so you know I disagree. Yeah. But I've learned we can say what we mean, but we don't have to say it mean. Right. <laughs> We're grown-ups. We're the boss of our mind. We're the boss of our mouth. We're the boss of our feelings. Our speech can block our blessings, though, and it can be a stumbling block to people. Basically speaking, we need to know when to shut up. We need to know when to shut up. This preached Word of God, the spoken Word of God, the red Word of God is seed in my heart and my mind. I put it in, every time I read the Word of God, I'm planting seed in my mind. Every time I hear the preached Word of God, that seed that's in my mind, and then with my mouth, I either water it or destroy it. It matters. It matters how we speak to ourselves. Your greatest enemy is not in your home or on your job or even that person that gets on your very last nerve. Your greatest enemy is right here in your mouth. Your tongue has more power to destroy your life than anything else or anyone else. The words we choose shape the lives we live because our words are prophetic. Basically, we live in the house that our words create. We're speaking our future with our words. This is gonna be a bad day. Okay. It's gonna be a good day. I'm blessed and highly favored, it is well. Uh, I don't know, I'm so hopeless, I think. uh. It's prophetic, you choose, you choose. When we get up in the morning and begin speaking negatively, guess how your day is gonna go. Why? Because you listen to yourself. You listen to yourself. And also because you've given the enemy of your soul a shortcut to what it takes to derail you that day. Amen. Those kids, when they get up, they're going to get on my last nerve. hmm they are now. They are now. Sometimes we find ourselves in an abusive relationship with ourselves. We look in the mirror and speak to ourselves in a way that we would never speak to another person. I'm so ugly. I'm so dumb. I'm so fill in the blank whatever your brain tells you, or we put a label on ourselves that did not come from God. I'm worthless. I feel worthless. I feel hopeless. That didn't come from God. That's a label that we're putting on ourselves. Consider the story of Naomi, and I know I've used this before, but this is so impactful to me. She and her husband left Bethel, moved to Moab, and over the next 10 years, her husband and both sons died and left her with two Moabite daughters-in-law, So you know the story, Naomi decided to return home. Orpah left Naomi, but Ruth stayed with her. After their long, hard journey, they arrive back at the house of bread. They arrive back home at their destination, and Naomi's friends come to meet her. And listen to Naomi's words in Ruth 1 and 20. She says, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. In the Old Testament, names meant something. Naomi means my delight. Her parents had named her my delight, but she renamed herself Mara, which means bitterness. And she told her family and friends, don't call me delight, call me bitterness. Her friends didn't call her bitterness. God didn't call her bitterness. Naomi renamed herself based on a small portion of her life. Small portion, she couldn't see the entire story. I'm sure she was hurt. I'm sure she was devastated. What a great loss. I'm sure she was fearful, but she couldn't see ahead past that. And so she named herself. She couldn't see that she's going to have a grandson named Obed and that he's going to have a grandson named David and that she's going to be in the lineage of Jesus. All she could see was call me bitterness. Call me bitterness. So we must be mindful about our speech to ourselves. We must be mindful about that. Um, speaking words of life doesn't mean that you deny the situation. All right. All right. I know Pastor has told a story about a young man that uh, we were in Bible college with, and he had listened to some Kenneth Copeland. If y'all, any of y'all from, remember that back in the day, everything. everything You just had to name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. Um and he fell out of the back of a truck on a highway, and he jumped up as soon as he could, rolling down the highway, jumped up and said, I, that did not happen in Jesus' name. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> Speaking words of life doesn't mean we deny our situation, because you can't fix what you refuse to confront. If you have a broken bone, a broken arm, a broken leg, and you refuse to get it taken care of, you're probably going to have issues with it for the rest of of your life. We have to confront something before we can fix it. So we don't deny the situation. I don't think the woman, the Shunammite woman was confused and thought he wasn't dead. I think she knew. I think in her mind, she was not denying the situation. But we put a conjunction in that sentence. I'm fearful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna accept this. I'm gonna define what this is. I'm fearful about this experience. But... I know the God's word says the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and deliver them. I'm sad. I wonder if I'll ever smile again. But I know the word of God says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I feel that I might crumble under this heavy burden that I'm carrying, but... I know that I can cast my care upon the Lord and he will sustain me. If you watch your speech and we use it correctly, we will discover a power in our mouth that we may not have known we had. So Naomi, don't rename yourself because better days are ahead. In stark contrast to Naomi is the disciple John. I love him. He's just got some... (laughs) He's got some boldness. Four times in his gospel that he wrote, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't know that anybody else gave him that time. I think he might have, evidently, I'm guessing he gave it to himself. I don't know. But he doesn't call himself John 13, 23, John 19, 26, John 21, 7, John 21 and 20. He does not call himself by name. He refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. The disciple Jesus. As though you're just going to know who that is. You should know. I'm the one. He's got 12. I'm his favorite. I'm the, I'm the one. Who are you, John? I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Who are you, Austin? I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Who are you, Caitlin? I'm the one Jesus loves. We get to name ourselves. So are we gonna say we're bitterness? or we gonna say I'm the one that Jesus loves? I'm the one that's whole. I'm the one that's healed. I'm the one that's, I'm no longer fearful. I'm no longer anxious. I'm the one that's saved. I'm the one that's redeemed. I'm the one Jesus loves. Remind yourself. It also matters how we speak to others. Sometimes God will prompt you to speak something to someone, maybe to, to give a compliment, to give a word of encouragement. And maybe you don't even know what's going on in their life, but God knows, and he's using you as a vehicle of encouragement. Proverbs twenty five eleven says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. James has some insightful and powerful things to say about the tongue. One of the first things he does in chapter 3 is to give a warning to us concerning how we speak to others about God. If we're going to disciple others, if we're going to give others instruction and advice on how to live holy or how to live according to the Word of God, James gives us a strong warning to watch what we say. Because he says, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Yeah. Basically, what James is saying is anyone who sets himself up to give spiritual instruction to others, whether formally or informally, will receive a stricter judgment. So the next time we get ready to set someone straight about a standard, about a lifestyle, about a, something, teaching of the church, When it comes to living for God, we need to do so with the knowledge that the greater judgment comes to us. It's not a light thing to speak on behalf of God. If we're going to express God's viewpoint on a matter, if we're going to say this is what God wants, (laughs) we better pay careful attention to what his viewpoint is. Because we face a higher level of accountability anytime we bring God and his name into a conversation. We must be careful. You know, in today's world, social media, oh, social media, love, hate, makes it easy for people to offer their, op- their opinions on uh, spiritual issues, on everything, actually, but on spiritual issues. Uh, not too long ago, not that, we're not that far removed from the time that when people spoke on spiritual issues, they were trained theologians. It wasn't everybody just out there willy-nilly giving their, having a platform to give their opinion. But now through the uh, onslaught of social media, uh, we give Bible lessons through memes. We give the disciples funny faces and make their mouths move and say stuff. And we've got people that are watching this and swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. Some of the stuff's good, but if we don't have that Word of God engrafted in our mind, it can feel good, it can look good, it can be funny, it can be palatable, and wrong. So because we have these opinions, they're just tossed about. People just give their opinion and go on. It's my page. I can do what I want. I can say what I want. But is it true? Does it align with the Word of God? We must be careful. We must be careful. Some will say, well, I speak my mind, as though it's an excuse, or I tell it like it is. Those are usually inadvertent confessions from people that have an undisciplined tongue. It's not always necessary or beneficial to speak my mind, and rarely does telling it like it is bring unity. Y'all, this is good stuff. It's hitting me, right? Smack in the face, it's good stuff. In writing to the church at Ephesus, Paul instructs them on endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. And he says in Ephesians 4, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. In other words, he's saying, grow up. We're not children anymore. Grow up. then verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love. And there's a reason that he says to speak the truth in love because it is entirely possible to speak the truth without love. In other words, you can speak the truth while you're being a jerk. You can say something that is absolutely, completely true. But if you speak it with a spirit of superiority or condescension or hatefulness or vindication, it doesn't really mean much. Your words, it doesn't matter that your words are true. They're not gonna land because you've damaged the potency of the truth by poisoning it with our stinking delivery. Some Christians like to focus more on telling the truth than sharing love. And then we've got those that like to just share love without telling the truth. Paul says we're to have both. We're to unify both in our speech. Speaking the truth in love. And he says, when you can do this, it's a sign you're a mature Christian, a mature Christian. If your aim, if our aim is just to win an argument, then any speech given in any tone of voice will do. If arguments worked, all of Facebook would be changed. All of the people on Facebook would be changed. You just need to type your response, your opinion in there. And they'd be like, oh, I see the light. Don't know one time that's ever worked. But if you actually care about the state of someone's soul, if that person means something to you, if you're endeavoring to keep the unity, if you want your words to be heard and received and considered, then we need to factor in our approach, our choice of words, our delivery, our tone of voice. It matters how we say what we say. Truth-telling isn't listed as a fruit of the Spirit, but truth-telling delivered with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control, patience, gentleness, meekness is powerful. It's powerful. So to be effective, we must speak the words with both truth and love. Edification is a skillful combining of both so that the person we're connecting with receives correct information from a heart of love. Isaiah 50 and four says, the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Our role in this body of Christ Our goal in our relationships involves this process of edification, of building each other up, of encouraging, of strengthening our brothers and sisters. And the primary way we do this is through our words. So they matter. Oftentimes, uh, we think of the Apostle Paul. If you're like me, I picture a stoic, stern rock of a man, not swayed by anything, not deterred from the course at hand, He had a a, a target in mind and nothing was going to stop him from getting there. I see him not needing anybody other than Jesus Christ himself. But even Paul needed the encouragement of others. Listen to what he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 7. For when we would come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings. Within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. What's he saying? He's saying, I was feeling conflicts on the outside and fears on the inside. Have you ever been there? Of course we have. But he was saying, but then Titus came. And he brought me encouragement. And he brought me encouragement with your words that you sent. Evidently, even the mighty man of God that said, I can do all things through Christ, also struggled with times of turmoil possibly times of discouragement, and needed edification. He was a spiritually confident man because he's the one that wrote, we're troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. But he still needed the words of fellow believers. I think we're in good company. I think we're in good company. God has placed us in a body Because we are to be dependent upon each other. To function well, to love well, to live well, to encourage and uplift each other. We need each other. We need each other. We don't always know what's going on behind the scenes. Your precious brother or sister may be fighting a battle that you know nothing about. They may be weary beyond words. They may have conflict on the outside and fears on the inside. And your words can make a difference to them. Careless words could be the final blow to a battle weary heart, or kind words could be the encouragement they need to get up and fight another day. Speaking correctly or positively, speaking life doesn't come naturally to someone born with a sin nature, and that's all of us. Speaking correctly. Speaking through the Word of God, that's not something that we're born with. That's something that we attain through engrafting the Word of God into our lives. Philippians 4 and 8, that familiar verse says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are of, If there be any, if there be any, think on these things. If you think on those things, you're going to speak those things. So before I speak, I ask myself, are my words true? Does this line up with the truth of God? We talked about last week when we talked about the brain, your brain can lie to you. Not every thought you have is true. Is this thought, are my words that I'm getting ready to say, are they true? Do they fit? I'm getting ready to say words to Gavin. Gavin. Does the words I'm getting ready to say to him fit with God's view of him as his image bearer? Are my words honest? Are they noble? Because I'm a child of the king. So my words, my choice of words should reflect my nobility. Is what I'm about to say demonstrating high moral, moral character? Are my words just, are they based on fact and not just Assumption is this the right time? They're good words. They're just words, but is it the right time? Or do I need to wait for a more appropriate time? Are my words pure? Are these words free from anything that taints or infects a reputation? Are they tainted with my own frustration? Are these words pure or are they tainted with my jealousy? Are these words pure or are they tainted with my upset, being upset. Are these words pure or are they uh, they tainted with my anger? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Do they inspire love? Are they of a good report? Do my words paint a picture of praise or excellence? Are they excellence? Do they reflect goodness? Would God rank them as excellent? These are the words I'm going to speak. God, do you rank them as excellent? And last, are my words praiseworthy? do they stir a sense of praise or condemnation? When I speak to someone, do they leave feeling encouraged and wanting to praise the Lord or are they leaving feeling condemned? Now that's a lot to think about before you speak. We wouldn't speak no however many million words if we thought about that. It's unlikely that we're gonna have the time or wherewithal to go through that eight-layer process every time we speak. But we don't have to watch what we say if we watch what we think. If we watch and make sure our heart is pure, if our mind has been engrafted, had the Word of God engrafted in it, if our heart is pure before God, then what comes out is going to be pure and of a good report and have virtue. So how does this look in real life? Y'all know I'm practical. I got four tips for us. Number one, this one's a really good one. Sometimes we just keep our mouth shut. Uh, Solomon wrote, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. He also wrote in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Not everything requires my spoken opinion. Now, I got opinion on everything. But I don't have to tell it. I don't have to voice my opinion on every subject. We are allowed to hear a discussion and not participate. We don't have to express every thought that comes into our mind. We don't have to be the one to answer every question. Oh, I know, I know, I know. We don't have to be the one that knows it all or tells it all or says it all. Sometimes we just need to keep quiet. Number two is pause before speaking. Take a breath. Think about your response. Sometimes uh, we feel a little awkward doing that. Somebody asks us a question and we think we need to jump right back. Take a minute. Think about it. So let me think for a minute. Don't fly off the handle. Look at the person to whom you're speaking. Remind yourself, this is someone I love. More importantly, this is someone that bears the image of God. This is somebody God loves. This is a precious soul. Are the words I'm getting ready to speak, am I adding fuel to the fire? Or am I bringing healing? Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Here's a general rule of thumb. If in doubt, leave it out. If you're not sure if you should say something, then don't. If you begin a sentence with, well, I probably shouldn't say anything, just go ahead and don't. Proverbs 13 to 3, he that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. But he that open wide his lips shall have destruction. Number three, I got four of them. Number three, all the mamas ought to say amen to this one. That's got littles. Give advice or opinions only when asked or when you have asked permission to do so. In other words, don't just give unsolicited advice. Well, here's what you need to do. I know what you need to do. You need to do this. We evangelized with Whitney for the first year of her life. And it was my first, first child. And so I believed everything everybody told me. Every church we went to was different. Get that blanket off that kid. She's going to sweat and catch cold and die. Next church, bundle that baby up. She's cold. She's cold. Put a blanket on her. Pass her around. That way she gets used to germs. The next church, don't let anybody hold her. She'll get sick. It's enough. Oh, that's why I said the, mama, the mamas of littles need to say amen to me because we don't need everybody's advice. We don't want everybody's advice. If you see a situation that you believe you have an answer for, ask, would you like to have my input? I see that you're struggling with this, this, and this, or I see that you're experiencing this, or I see this going on. I've, I've had that in my life. Would you like for me to tell you what worked for me? Then here's the clincher. If the answer is yes, tell them. If the answer is no, walk away. We don't need to just keep spilling our opinion out or advice. Not everybody is eager to hear my pearls of wisdom. And I've got lots of pearls. I don't know that they're pearls. It's just advice or opinions. But not everybody needs to hear them or wants to hear them. So ask, number four, the last one, be mindful of those around us. Seek ways to encourage others. What words can I speak to my husband that will bless him today? What words can I speak to my children that will encourage them today? You know, our voice as parents, our voice becomes the voice that the kids hear in their head. So what words can I use to encourage them today? What words can I speak to my fellow pilgrims that will inspire them to keep going? What words can I speak to myself that will help me live a life of joy and gratefulness? Look for opportunities to say uplifting and encouraging things to people in your life. Many times we think something uh, kind or nice or encouraging about a person, but we fail to tell them. I already told her, but Sister Rachel, I loved hearing you play tonight. But it's so easy to sit in the congregation and hear it and think that and walk off and never tell her. Brother Chris and Brother Bobby opened the door tonight. That I appreciated that. But sometimes it's easy to take all of that for granted and never give the word of encouragement. Use your speech to edify. So sometimes we just hush. Some, then we need to pause before speaking. Give advice only when you've asked, you've asked and they have received permission to do so. And number four, be mindful to those around us and seek to encourage them. <clears throat> I want to address our elders for a minute. And I'm not going to define elders. If you think you fall in that category, I'm talking to you. If you don't think you fall in that category, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> elders, if you have lived your life for God for a length of time, you have reached what may possibly be your most powerful stage of life. You've been faithful. Let me tell you why. You've been faithful all these years. You have built up so many years of spiritual disciplines. You have had faithfulness in church attendance. You've had faithfulness in worship. You've had faithfulness in praying. You've had faithfulness in fasting. You've had faithfulness in reading the word of God. So much so that it's become second nature to you. I tease pastor a lot because when it gets icy, you know who he's concerned about? The elders, because they're going to come. They're the ones, they're going to come. It doesn't matter what what the roads are like, they're going to be here. So he's concerned. Your body may be aging, but guess what never gets old? Your ability to speak. Your words, your power. Your words. When we filled out the MPC service forms last weekend, several of our elders wrote, I can pray. Oh, yes, you can. (laughs) Oh, yes, you can. And you can encourage because you have the power to speak. Your power to speak is one of the most powerful tools you have at your disposal. It's not when the scripture says the power of life and death is in the tongue, it's not in the youth. It's not in the age. It's not in your wisdom. It's not in your ability to speak eloquently. It's in your tongue. It's in what you say. So I encourage, our, I'm pleading with our elders, speak life. Amen. Our world, our church needs to hear you. Rehearse miracles. Rehearse miracles that some of the young people may not have heard about before. Even if we've heard them a thousand times, tell it again. Tell it again. Keep talking about it. Right. Tell stories about saints who have departed. Tell about revivals of the past. I'll tell you, some people are going to roll their eyes. Oh, we've heard this before. I would give just about anything to hear my father-in-law tell another story. The power of words. When we lose someone, when someone passes from this life, you know what we most often say? We don't most often say, I wish I could eat her pie again. We don't most often say, I wish he was here to drive me to the store again. We say, I wish I could have one more conversation with them. I wish they could tell me that story. It's the power of words. The power of words. You are a living testimony to the faithfulness of God. Tell us about it. Speak it. Speak it. Matthew 12 and 36 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Does that scripture scare anybody besides me? I've heard it taught a whole bunch of different ways. And uh, so many times that at times I've been hesitant to talk because I thought, Ugh, are all these idle words? The word idle there means useless, worthless, unprofitable. It's a speech that's of no good purpose that comes from a vain heart or a trifling heart. It's words that do nothing. They don't minister grace or instruction. And verse 37 goes on to say, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. There's no better judge of a person's heart than the words that he allows to come from his mouth. And we're going to give account for our words. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we've made it to heaven but now we're going to be judged to receive our rewards and our words will either work for us or against us. And I know, I don't know about you, but I think it would be terrible to have lived my whole life, trying my best to live for God and do what was right, only to discover my words condemned me because I spoke negatively because I poured acid on people, because I spoke in anger, because I spoke in a lack of faith and discovered that they've condemned me and removed a large portion of the reward that I would have earned. I want all. I want the sparkly crown. I want the robe with fur on. I want all the reward. But that's the power of words. The truth ought to be life-changing, that when eternal rewards are attached to our words, when we realize that attachment, then what It doesn't seem worth it to speak so many negative things. It doesn't seem worth it to spin our opinion or to fight on social media. I encourage us to make this our daily prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What does a guard do? He opens and shuts the door at the appropriate time. So, Lord, you guard my mouth. Lord, you set the guard over my mouth put your hand over my mouth when I need to keep it shut and let me know when I need to speak I want to be wise to when I open it and wise to when I keep it closed God bless you
0: thank you for listening to the MPC podcast we trust that today's message has inspired you encouraged you and strengthen you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.